0: Welcome to Jemish Fam. This is James. I'm joined today by a long old friend, Elena. Elena Uh We're at your apartment mm-hmm. in Melbourne mm-hmm. on Collins Street. That's right. Right. Don't give is away this... the actual no. address though, because it's But Collins Street's for. a big street, Collins so. Street's pretty
1: big. That's fine.
0: Yeah, you know, I won't. I don't even know where I am. Yeah. So, enough. is this right in the CBD?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the kind of, it's, it's not the Paris end of Collins Street. I like to refer to it as the Beirut end of Collins Street. So, oh, right. Yeah. There's it's... a big difference over this one street. <laughs> well, it's much fancier up the other end. This is the less fancy oh, okay. end. Yeah.
0: I don't really know Melbourne at all.
1: Is this your first time here?
0: Since I was 17. Yeah. It's changed a lot. Like, I think when I came here last time, they'd Crown, they'd just built, finished Crown yeah. Casino. And that was like the only building on that side of the river. Now it's like a whole another CBD skyscraper section yeah, over totally. there. But how long have you been living here? You're a Perth expat. I'm you
1: should a Perth say. expat. I've uh, been here coming up to, uh, I'm not entirely sure, but nearly a, nearly a decade. So yeah, nine years or so.
0: And why did you move to Melbourne?
1: Um, I had decided I wanted to get into publishing, and that was not something that was really feasible to do in Perth, at least not um, on the kind of scale I wanted to do it on.
0: So, what is publishing?
1: So, uh, I work in independent publishing. I'm a book editor, um, which means I make books. Um, I came here to do a course. I studied at RMIT and did a graduate um, diploma in publishing and editing and yeah. um, learnt all, the, all about the business of books um, and got into it pretty soon after finishing that.
0: Okay. Now, I saw this movie the other night with on Netflix <laughs> with so, oh Sarah Michelle Gellar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um it's quite recent cuz she's seen quite she played quite an, an older character rather than the normal young hip thing and oh Alec Baldwin. Okay. And then the publisher is you haven't seen that movie?
1: The what's the movie? So, I good. don't know. <laughs> it was about publishing though. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I haven't it's one seen. of the worst movies I've ever seen.
0: I wonder <laughs> well, like, you could really pull it apart for me. Uh, I'm yeah sure. no sorry it.
1: it's um it's not a particularly I think that it's if you have always,
0: Netflix find it and I'll just see, it, and see and, see it, and be see it like oh my god.
1: Um I think it's a it's an industry that people tend to glamorise but
0: but it's but it's you know I, was, I think it's written by someone in the publishing because every now and then they pop up an interstitial that says, oh, this is a term that's used in the publishing industry just yeah. to remind the audience this is what the hit <laughs> they, terms are.
1: They know they think their stuff, yeah. I think it's like how there's, um, there's a ton of movies about writers. There's yeah. a ton of books about writers. I think that um, um, when that's your, your life and your job, you tend to think it's inherently interesting when for most people outside of the industry, it's probably not.
0: All right. And um, so you, what you studied over here?
1: I studied, yeah, I did. I did and
0: then you got... Years. What was your first step out of school? Did uh, they recruit you from?
1: So, no, I... um. So this was a, a grad dip, and um, when I was... Uh, I had about six months left on that when I um applied for this internship that was through the Australia Council um, for a publisher, a local publisher called Text. Yeah. And they were offering an internship in the rights department, which um is about selling... Uh, Rights to our books overseas or to Mm -hmm. large print publishers or to audio publishers, etc. So um, I got that gig and that was 18 months. As Uh, an intern? As an intern, yeah. Paid internship. Paid internship. Yeah. So a paid internship is called an emerging producers internship.
0: Does that mean you'd get paid less, kind of like an apprenticeship?
1: (laughs) Well, I certainly didn't get paid much.
0: So um, you're not below minimum wage?
1: uh, what's minimum wage? I can't I don't remember. Know. I feel
0: like my brother; he did it as an electrician, and you get you get paid below minimum wage in the yeah. idea that you're getting taught at the same time. Yeah, like yeah.
1: Look, I mean, the publishing industry is known for its um, meagre wages, yeah. so uh, it's probably perfectly reasonable in that kind of context, and perfectly ludicrous for anyone else who's you know 25 and um, working in an office. But
0: so you're selling rights as an intern. You're selling rights to people overseas territories and stuff like that
1: yeah that's right so i got to go to frankfurt which is where the um yeah. the biggest book fair of the year is it's held mm-hmm. in october every year and um everyone descends upon this german town and um sells rights or buys books for three or four days uh, and it's pretty exciting so you speak to publishers from a whole host of different countries and try to interest them in the books that you have to sell. And so are
0: you pitching them or do they have to yeah. try and read them before?
1: No, no, you're pitching them. I mean, sometimes there's always going to be one or two books that are, you know, the kind of hot topics at the fair. Yeah. And once that word has gotten out about those, then the people there often, you know, race to read them um, uh, and try to pay for them, you know, offer for them on that day, do it as quickly as possible so they can lock it down. Um, so that's quite exciting when, when something like that happens. Our company had that. I wasn't there, but it was a few years ago with a book called The Rosie Project. Um, and that was the hot book of the fair. And so everyone was clamouring to to buy rights to that one. Um, and it became really heated and exciting.
0: Now, the legend in the film industry about The Rosie Project is that it was a script first. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get sell the script, so mm-hmm. he wrote a book. And then the book got optioned to make a movie with the general of loop... Jennifer Lawrence or something like that. Yeah,
1: that's that's totally right. So he um he wrote it as this Graham Simpson, he wrote it as a screenplay first. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he then tried to to sell it. I'm not sure about that. But he he then turned it into a book, which won the um, Victorian Premier's uh, Award for an unpublished manuscript. And we bought the rights from that. And uh, then the rights the film rights were snapped up by Sony and. Um,
0: before it became a hit as a book?
1: Uh, no, after, after it had after, been published. Yeah. Oh, after it been published here at least. I'm not sure if it had been published in America yet, but yeah. um, it uh, they bought the rights. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence was attached um, and someone else I can't remember, but um, they're scheduling conflicts as usual. It's
0: because it's been a while now.
1: It's been a while. Um, latest I heard, Ryan Reynolds is, is attached um, to right, it, yeah. so to play Don. Um, but we'll see. And Graham's writing the... Screenplay for that again, I guess i don't know if he's just going back and dusting Does off his whole draft, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah that was that was part of the the deal, and um that should be pretty great if it happens when it happens
0: and so you're selling that I think I actually listened to the audiobook rather than the read the book mm-hmm. so what you would deal with audible
1: yeah, I mean, not me personally anymore, but um yeah, that was uh, the big ones in Australia are audible and belinda yeah. b o l i n d a um so yeah, they um the rights would have been sold to them and they would pay to have that produced and, and distributed, so
0: yeah. So what okay, you're at the Frankfurt thing, mm-hmm. you're still an intern. Yep. And you're just watching other people sell when you're participating, or they actually mm-hmm. sent you to sell?
1: Well, it was me and the publisher and another colleague in rights, mm-hmm. so three of us there and I had my own meetings and was um, was pitching, so that was pretty uh. How do you pitch a
0: book? Is it like pitching a movie?
1: Possibly. I suppose you kind of, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation and yeah. you try to gauge the interests of the other person. If you, I mean, often they'll tell you exactly what they want. You know, yeah. I want dystopian fantasy for teenagers and you say, okay, let me see okay. what I've got here for you. And you flick through and you kind of like, oh, I've got the right thing. Mm-hmm. You try and sell it to them. So you, you kind of figure out if this is a person who's going to be sold on uh, literary merit or if they're going to be a person who wants to hear more about plot. Um, it's interesting the extent to which the location of the publisher matters as well like I went to Taiwan book fair as Mm -hmm. well and had a lot of meetings with um, uh, publishers from all over Asia and it seems to be that the books that they're most interested in are um, ones that are edifying in some way like the fiction itself is tended to be I mean this is a really broad generalisation but uh, generally seen as pretty frivolous so you know especially for teenagers or kids so they want something that has like a a proper moral message or some kind mm. of lesson to be taken away from. So yeah. we try to, you know, instead of just saying, oh, this is a lovely book about, you know, a girl feeling lost in her hometown, you say, well, this is, uh, teaches kids to be self-reliant or to the value of hard work, et cetera, so.
0: so you're always trying to give them, trying to twist your book into something to well, match their expectations in the hope that they'll read it? <laughs> I think it's... Or uh, as soon as you hear they don't want it, you just... God, don't worry about it move on to the next thing uh,
1: I think it depends I mean if it's someone who's after a very specific thing mm. and they're like I don't, I don't want that you can you can try to a certain extent to to change their mind but if you've got something else that you think might fit better then it may be worthwhile just switching to that instead so yeah. not to waste anyone's time
0: what is the split between publishers that are focused on one sort of genre and one, or one sort of uh, market and, and publishers that want to do a broad range of things and just want good stuff.
1: Um, probably size is is thing there. Yeah. So, for example, um, I mean, a big publisher will have various imprints that will focus more specifically on different areas. Yeah. Um, and I think it depends on the on the genre as well. Like, so I, the publisher I work for is um, uh, generally literary fiction and nonfiction, but mm-hmm. we do commercial fiction as well. We do YA as well. We do a um, we don't do a lot of um illustrated books um, mm-hmm. we don't do cookbooks and we don't do you know there's a there's a variety that we don't do but um you know it's actually just,
0: you just don't have specialist people
1: yeah look for the right project we would do yeah. it and we we have done yeah. um but it's just not really it's a very different kind of publishing um mm. then you have you know usually the specific genre stuff um there are specific publishers for so that's especially for like romance fiction um sci-fi and mm. um speculative fic stuff that tends to be um really specialized um so same with children's books or you know illustrated books often the cookbooks you know that kind of stuff tends to be because it's such a specialist um area it seems to be people focus on that or at least they Mm -hmm. have an imprint to focus specifically on that stuff
0: so you're going to like frankfurt and taiwan who are you speaking to other people from frankfurt and taiwan or people from all over the that area
1: people from all over the world really Mm. in frankfurt it's um Mm. everyone descends so there's a whole hall that's um for agents and you know but there are other halls that are specifically for for certain regions um but yeah you'll have a meeting you know the meetings are all half an hour or whatever in your 15 minutes you'll have a meeting with um uh someone from america someone from the uk someone from greece someone from latvia you know it can be whoever um and, yeah, it's a, it's a really good way to meet a kind of people who you have a conversation with by email um, for most of the year and then you finally put a face to it and you're like, oh, you're actually a man. I thought you were a woman. That's fine. Not that it
0: matters. Well, that's, that sounds exciting. Uh, at some point, do you, is there a book that is your book that you, saw, you brought in, saw all the way through to publishing?
1: Uh, yeah, well, so after i after i worked in rights for a few years i moved into digital publishing and then in eventually into editorial which mm. is where i am now and uh editorial tends to be you get to you get to acquire the book and you mm-hmm. see it through so um what's really great about working at a publisher like text which is a mid now i think um independent publisher but we um are a really hierarchy free kind of place so even though i'm a fairly junior editor mm. there um I still have the opportunity to acquire books which is something that tends to if you're at a bigger publisher is only uh done by the real high ups. So um you know, I have the capacity to if I find a book if it, you know, someone sends it to me or I um I inquire after the rights from an overseas publisher, I read it, I make the case to uh the rest of the company, try to get a reader on board from publicity, from marketing, from various other departments and um Make the case for why we should be publishing this, mm-hmm. um, and that's not just me. Obviously, that's everyone in editorial and people in, in publicity and marketing have the opportunity to do that too. If they are passionate about a project, they um, it's really led by the person who reads it first, and then you yeah. get other people on board, and you um, take it through to acquisitions, and hopefully get to publish it. And that's really exciting. And then because of the way the company works as well, we um, you know editors see it through from acquisition through to pressing print. So you actually are involved in every step of the project, as mm. opposed to other companies where you might hand it off at some point to a um, copy editor, um, you know, to various to production, and they'll see it through. But um, no, we do it the whole the whole way. So,
0: what was your first book that you were like, okay, like, this, this is this is mine? Yeah, I mean, because it must be weird because you're new, mm. so you're like you're not fully confident like at some point you're like i know what this is the kind of book that i want to push but when you first one you go Mm -hmm. is this this one or should i Mm -hmm. keep going to next manuscript how do you decide you go yeah um
1: well i think when you first start off you're probably more inclined to say yes to everything just because you want to um
0: you want to get you want it
1: yeah you want to start start getting getting stuck in um uh, I'm probably I'm um, known as someone who's a pretty um, tough on <laughs> books. I tend yeah. to uh, to not really fall in love with them um, all that often. So when I do, I know it unequivocally. Yeah. Um, so that's helpful. But obviously, you need to um, try to to read broadly and to um, to look at the big picture with things like that.
0: And so the the first one, what was how did you know this is what I'm going to stake my first?
1: Uh, well, the, f- it, the first acquisition I made proper um, that was a local acquisition, and those are mm. the mo- the most exciting ones, I think, because you take you know a raw form manuscript as opposed to a book that's been published or is has already been acquired from um, to a, by an overseas publisher, and they've already you don't get to work on those really, you know, yeah. you, if you buy. So, for example, um, I. Uh, acquired the rights to Tana um Between the World and Me, um, but which was fantastic. It's an amazing book, and I'm you know really mm. um, so happy that I got to to work on it at all. But you know I didn't I didn't get to. So you're literally getting
0: printed books in the mail as well from other publishers Uh, around the world? Not
1: usually printed books because usually you're getting it
0: in advance. Yeah, so you're
1: getting manuscripts, but they're, you know, typeset and they've already been edited or, you know, they're about to be copy edited and you don't really. I mean, on occasion you have you have say. You can say, oh, you know, I think there's aspects of this that aren't working and if it's early Mm. enough in the process you can actually um, be involved in that. But most of the time you're seeing the finished product or at least the product that you're, you know, going to be um buying and that's and that's what you've got
0: um who's sending you that is it the other publisher, yeah the, the original pub- publisher? Other,
1: yeah the other publisher or their own agent if it's yeah. an agent working on their behalf um so uh yeah so the local acquisitions are great because you see you know you're speaking either with the author direct or with an agent um representing them but you get to get your hands really dirty you know and get in there and mess around with it which is what <laughs> editors really want to do you know you want to move the, the commas back and forth in and out um yeah. and so the first the first local acquisition I made was um an incredibly talented um young author probably I don't know if I should say the name anyway um yeah I'll say oh. it's <laughs> so an amazing young author called Jennifer Down whose um debut novel we published earlier yeah. this year and uh that was incredibly fun because you just see the raw the talent on the page and the capacity for her to do mm. amazing things. And the book itself is incredible, but um, it's just super exciting because you're getting someone like right at the start of their career and you're like this, you know, this is something I can, I can be involved in and, um, and see through. And so there was a good um, 16 months, I think from acquisition through to publication and we did quite a few uh, rounds on the book before then, and um, yeah, that was that was a really rewarding and exciting process.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that was published this year. Yeah, in February. And so, when did you pick that in jump on board?
1: June, not the year before, but the year before that, I think June, July.
0: So it's like a two-year process.
1: Um, yeah, that was um, well, that was about about. Yeah, eighteen months I guess. Um, it's yeah, it's usually about a year from acquisition to publication. Mm-hmm. That's the ideal um time frame, obviously. Is that
0: spending time editing or are you just waiting for a slot to be
1: Oh no, that's that's working on it the whole time. So what so for example, a book that's published in February, usually mm-hmm. you're sending it to print in early December. Yeah. Um you're sending to print a book that has been typeset and proofread, so for that to happen that needs to be in pages in you know, by like mid-October at the latest. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to have a finished, you know, a largely finished manuscript by mid-October. So already like that's, you know, from, you're working back. So a book that's published in February is actually, um, you know, largely done by yeah. October. So um, what seems like a really long time frame is actually not so long in publishing terms. And, um, you know, in the meantime, you kind of, you need time to, you read the manuscript and write your notes mm. and then send it back to the author and then they need the time to read your notes and disagree with your notes and make a case for why they want to ignore you and um, then you need to to fight with them about they, why they should listen to you and, and I'm
0: making a joke so this is you know it's actually a really <laughs> I've had Barney our mutual <laughs> friend on and oh, she's yeah. talked a bit about the <laughs> tension between editor and uh, writer.
1: Yeah. Um, look, it's an incredibly rewarding process, at like least from my perspective. I really enjoy it, um, and it's not combative. Ideally, yeah. it's uh, it's collaborative, and it's um, uh, you know you both want the best things to come out out of it. So, you know, an editor is not trying to impose their own view or their own uh, voice onto the the book. You're trying to, ideally, you you read each book and you you get into the head of the author, and you you know the, an editor is going to be the person who um, next to the author themselves is the most involved with the text. They're going to be mm. the person who will read it the most after the author, and um, the ones who are not intimately. So, uh, you really need to have a sense of what the author is trying to say and how they tend to say it. So, you know, there's no point in taking a work that is, um, you know, have a really maximalist style or something mm. that's really ornate and quite flowery prose, and decide that you're going to. Gordon Lishit and, and make it into, um, you know, this incredibly pared-back minimalist prose. So, mm. you know, that's that's not the, the ambition. It's not to kind yeah. of make everything sound like how I want it to sound like. It's to, it's to you know, allow the author to, to say what they want to say with the most clarity yeah. and meaning. So
0: um, so is that d- deadline, the publishing deadline, is that set before the book's finished? Is that, Does that end up being a deadline? You're like, we've got to go because we're going on this date? <laughs>
1: Um, well, there's a bit of flexibility built into it, but, um, usually, I mean, it depends on the kind of book. So if it's a non fiction book, often you're buying off a proposal and it's a book that hasn't been written and you might yeah. say, you know, would be buying a book now, um, and the person's going to deliver it in early 2018, um, yeah. for example, and we'll say, all right, we'll, we'll publish that in September 2018 or maybe early the following year. Uh, and so, yeah, you hope that they stick to that schedule and deliver on time, but there's, um life gets in the way so sometimes that'll get pushed out other times there'll be certain events for which you're trying to publish for or dates that you're trying to publish to, for mm. and so there's not a lot of scope to to move things around and so you are kind of mm. this is our deadline that's what we're working towards and so um ideally you don't you don't race against the deadline all that much but it's it, it is inevitable
0: is there like is there like a page count they're like oh we can only afford Two hundred pages. <laughs> You're gonna hit that because that's in film industry. Like, well, yeah. we've, uh, our distributor only does films under two hours because that's our slot at the cinema or something. Mm. Yeah, um. as the like that. <laughs> or on TV, obviously, it's like yeah. it has to be fifty-seven minutes because we've got to have three minutes of ads or...
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's nothing as uh, concrete as that. And actually, it would probably be quite helpful if there if there were something to say, like, yeah. sorry, we only have 200 pages to yeah. work. You're going to have to cut your book. Um, but no, unfortunately, it's usually um, uh, fairly open-ended. But um, I think it's always going to be, you know, an editor is almost always going to try and cut words out and an author is mm. always, always going to try and have more. Yeah. I mean, I personally um, am hesitant to... Uh, I don't know, I think a lot of books tend to be um, longer than they need to be. Yeah. Um, and a lot of books would be better served at being shorter than they, they are. There's some kind of prestige attached to the really hefty book mm-hmm. um, as though, you know, this is what real literature is, it's a brick and that's what, that's what it has to be in order to be important. And you just think, well, you know... Great Gatsby is 120 pages odd. Yeah. Uh, Animal Farm's 120 pages odd. You mm. can say a lot in in a short period of in a short
0: number of pages. Is so is that just you prefer shorter books, or are you thinking about the reader in mind, or is it just just if you set that let's keep it short, it mm. makes better quality because you get rid of all the fat <laughs> kind of
1: thing. Oh look, I you yeah, know there's some. There's I I think of the reader because I know that I don't myself like reading books that are much over 300 pages yeah. so um, I I think of myself as a reader like that and and think oh well you're gonna actually have to earn it but other people have a different view and they think well if you're paying 32.95 for a book you want it to be you know if you if it's 500 pages as opposed to Two hundred and thirty pages, then you're getting a better deal. <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, there's certain there's certain genres as well where the expectation is they should be big. Like you don't, you know, really going to see very many um, fantasy and spec fic books that are really tiny. I mean, of course there are there are many of them that are very tiny, but the standard is that you know they're they're going to be bricks and it's going to be mm. one of six. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, so uh, you know, my preference is for the the minimised <laughs> the, the sub three hundred page book, but That being said, I'm working on a book at the moment that's, um, I think it's about 109,000 words right now, um, which is quite long. I mean, your probably average book is maybe 85,000 words. Okay.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, obviously, I imagine, would you be reading a lot more stuff than the average person?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're
0: like time, time, let's go. Let's
1: yeah, go. um or that, that I don't think that influences my decision necessarily, though it is satisfying to be able to read it and decide on a manuscript in a couple of hours. But yeah. um yeah, I would definitely say I, I have to read more than the average person and I try to you know, that's that's part of my job and um and I don't get to do that at work all that often. I usually have to do that mm. in my own time and that's that's standard too. Um, uh, but I mean it's a it's an absolute joy, you don't get into the the business if you don't like reading so Hmm. the important thing for is to to try and continue to read things that are outside of the uh work setting. so i try to read um you know new new books and classic books and things that i I read for book club and and stuff that i'm reading just for my
0: own interests as Hmm. opposed to do i want to buy this book or why should i you know publish this book you're not on like tumblr.com checking (laughs) out stuff trying to find the new hip thing
1: no, I don't, um I don't do that. Um
0: What about going out and getting all oh, this person's big on YouTube let's see if they do a biography for us do you ever
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's that's certainly part of the job is is commissioning My but my taste runs towards the the literary more. Mm-hmm. So, um it's probably not kind of hanging out on Tumblr and YouTube to find people though I'm sure there's a ton of people. You really have to do that as an intern people. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's um yeah, it's it's that's that's a big part of, of publishing, but I think that's that's not that's not the kind that, that really that gets me up in the morning. I like I mean I'm I tend to I like fiction. Um I lo- I mean, I do love non fiction as well, but I tend to like ideas based stuff, yeah. narrative based stuff stuff, so
0: do you know much about historical publishing and editing? Like do you ever think about how much of Jane Austen's stuff would be edited?
1: uh well that's an interesting question i think that um i don't know a whole lot about it um and in fact i only recently discovered i only discovered today is talking to a friend who's um has a phd in in literature and she's talking about um doing a project with someone whose uh whose interest and research lies in book history and that's and there is a distinction between book history and, and literature which is that it's more about the um the book as the object and the the process that created that book and the various editions of it etc so i didn't even know that was a thing but um i don't have a, a great understanding of the um the background there i know that i mean wasn't a lot of her stuff unpublished um or published pseudonymously or mm. in you know not Have you
0: read some of the not her main stuff
1: oh well it's inter- i really want to see that wit stillman film that's yeah out at the i'm thinking
0: i bought I've got that on my Kindle to read oh, yeah. in case I had to see that movie.
1: So, that
0: Lady Susan. Yeah.
1: So she, that was a novella that she, it was published, at the ba- as I understand it, at the back of another novel. And mm. it was just a sh- very short like epistolary thing that was from the perspective of the son or nephew of the, the main character, Lady Susan. Mm. Um, and it was just this very biting little satire. Um, yeah. But then Whit Stillman has written a novel based on his film, Mm-hmm. both is based on that novella is that right yeah I so do
0: think you so.
1: you have the you have the witt stillman novel or you have the jane austen novella
0: i think i have the jane austen yeah. but i think there might be i may be confusing for another is there another one that she was half finished
1: uh quite possibly sorry i'm not i don't have I'm not full bottle on jane austen but um the um lady susan is the one that that witt stillman okay used yeah. so but his his book is called the, he's got the same so did he
0: write the book that, and then make the movie
1: I think he made the movie and then wrote the book ok so yeah. I think it's a kind of
0: novelisation
1: of it, but I'm sure he'd hate that that expression mm. but it's I mean it's it's um, yeah I don't I don't know what the distinction is but it's all very interesting
0: you're not a Mansfield uh, Jane Austen fangirl then? Oh, not Fan particularly I
1: need to no I should really um,
0: uh, I have to go back and,
1: and read some Austen it's been a very long time um and I feel that, you know, I tend to, um, I don't
0: know. I'm Do you reread on, stuff? You're reading stuff all the time. Do you ever reread uh, stuff? I try,
1: yeah, I try not to. Yeah. Um And especially for things that you, you read and love, mm. you know, when it's like, I, um, I like to just think of myself as a Salinger fan and I don't want to go and reread Franny and Zooey or Catcher in the Rye because I think I'd probably be, um. Critical of it. Yeah. I'd be a bit disappointed. I think it was, you know, it was a, an amazing, amazing things to read as a teenager and, you you know, mm life-changing and, and incredibly powerful and i'd probably go back and think get a job yeah <laughs> um, so that's that's not fair to my own history or to or to salinger or to the books so um yeah i just i think there are too many too many books in the world to to reread um though you know i imagine my mm. respect on that will change
0: a lot of in the with films and stuff there's yeah it's i guess i i don't know why it would be different to books but there's you know there's there's this big change in the industry where you only now get really expensive movies and really cheap movies you don't get middle mm. budget movies because they could seen as too risky because if you don't get the right publicity they you lose a lot of money making them yeah and um and they get crowded out by the big movies and um obviously yeah they're riskier than the cheaper movies um but there's you know as part of this risk averseness everyone's pushing the formula you got to have mm. the formula you got to have the hero's journey perfectly he's got a someone's guy's got to have a, a an intent yeah uh you know he wants to get he wants to make lots of money and he's got to have obstacles that money and then he's got to have to become a changed person after he doesn't get the money yeah and that's like every movie now if it doesn't follow that formula you're not really considered unless you're already in the auteur, auteur status where yep. you get to do whatever you want yeah is there stuff like that in books yeah i reckon like they're pushing formulas oh. like we want
1: i think that there tend to be trends and there tend to be um uh it's probably more um in the genre stuff so it's harder to in literature it's yeah, it tends not to be so so trend driven mm. though there are broader trends like for example the you know 400 500 page epic from the writer based in Brooklyn kind of yeah. trend um but There's the whole know,
0: hunger games
1: yeah well, it's, divergent it's thing. that's right like it's YA in particular that tends to be really driven mm. by trends but the the trouble with um with publishing and I look it should be the same with movies but I think movies have a longer um, like a, this, it seems to move much slower in the sense of the trends that you know mm. Like the superhero trend will last for a good 10 years so you can yeah. kind of um, build off that but it, it's faster in publishing so it doesn't actually work necessarily because by the time like dystopia is the hot thing or whatever it happens you know paranormal romance which it was around the twilight mm. time um, by the time you kind of identify that trend and acquire a book to publish in that trend and then publish that trend it's moved on and you know the, yeah. and everyone's like oh paranormal romance that's so last year so it can be really dangerous in that sense trying to chase the trend I think Is um, the
0: whole Fifty Shades of Grey trend still happening?
1: Oh yeah I, I guess so <laughs> um, I think that probably um, yeah mainstream yeah. erotica yeah there, was, yeah. yeah there was a lot of that and it's still I think they're still churning it out but um I th- I'm not sure what the the latest
0: the latest thing is. Um, you know, you just ignore that.
1: Oh, it's yeah. I'm, I'm Did you read it to see what the talking about? the Fifty Shades? No, I didn't. I didn't read it. Yeah, to I be honest, <laughs> um, life's too short. Yeah. <laughs> I just. I, I mean, I don't. If I was convinced that there was, um, you know, I would I would read it and think, no, there actually there is something here. I can I can mm. see it. I mean, obviously there was something that can captivate that many million people worldwide but um i don't think it's it's not for me
0: that's fine (laughs) um now you worked on the rosie project and that came along similar time to the big bang theory bang theory was like the biggest tv show on earth and there was the sheldon and amy Mm
1: -hmm. i've never seen it to be honest all right well the the main (laughs) but i know that yeah
0: the big story is a character with ass burgers yeah yeah yeah. right Mm -hmm. and um do you know the diff- and he has this girl that really likes him but he just can't see it and yeah it's yeah taken 10 years for them to even sleep together kind of thing, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I didn't actually work on the Rosie Project. that was um i was out of rights by that time and i didn't work on it editorially but um i did i remember um as soon as it it uh it came out especially in america mm. it was i love this it's just like so and so from big bang theory yeah okay it's i mean that's but
0: is that like do people go is that why one of the reasons why people wanted to push it could you could use that as a selling point say hey people love the big Bang Theory; they're going to love this book
1: yeah well absolutely you can you, and you try to capitalize on on that stuff if you can mm-hmm. but I don't think it was um, as you know I think that was just that just happened organically as yeah. I don't think it was you know I doubt that, that Graham thought oh Asperger's is going to be a hot thing that we can
0: that I can write about well he probably wrote it about you know might have written it back when it wasn't as big I think. yeah but I, by the time I, oh, you're definitely. selling it to external territories it might definitely have been.
1: yeah it wouldn't it would have been written well before mm-hmm. you know big bang theory was even a twinkle in the eye of yeah what's his face but um yeah no i don't think there was any any connection there but it's amazing how these things just kind of tend to to happen at the same time and it becomes a zeitgeisty um kind of thing when you know no one really means it to happen it's not like you know someone's like you know predicting that asperger's is going to be mm. hot. that's i mean that sounds so crass to talk about it like that anyway it is crass um these well,
0: quirky characters yeah look i think are...
1: i think the Rosie project was was um really interesting in that it was yeah, yeah it had that, it had certainly had that aspect but it was just such a cracking romantic comedy mm-hmm. that it was um you know it didn't it was it was just so so very well done so um
0: yeah when you're looking for you works and stuff like that. Are you thinking about the marketing angle, or are you just finding best and then working backwards? Like, <laughs> um, I think that you try to go. Oh, to... I could really pitch this, or I could this. I could pitch this as something that would sell. Or
1: yeah, look, I think an editor's job is to, um, you know, you have the luxury of not trying to think about that, but you have to because the only way you are going to actually get to acquire this book is mm. to convince. Other people that you should be able to acquire this book, so you're always going to have to make a case for it. And if you can't make the case for it, if all you can say is, "Look, it's just,
0: it's just good. it's just really good," so people just <laughs> don't buy that.
1: No, I mean sometimes uh, I suppose because I'm usually saying it's just so shit. Um, sometimes yeah. if I say it's just really good, people are, like, "Oh, lady oh. actually likes the book. Wow, well, we've uh, got to check this out." <laughs> um, but no, you can't, you can't get away with just. Um, saying it's just really good it's just you should you should just really read it um, mm. so you have to be able to um, to pitch it in a, I mean but that doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be um, that it has to be a plot that you can mm. that you can pitch you can you know um, try to pitch the the writing or the the voice mm. or um, other aspects of it so I think you you can't really divorce it from from the marketing of it but um, I think that that's a good thing rather than a kind of crass sales thing. Yeah. Either it's like why why do i want to re- why did I want to read this book? why have I enjoyed this book um I'm sure there are other people out there who would feel the same about it, so mm. how do I find those people so um you know that's a not a noble ambition but it's a it's a it's a good thing you know it's a um mm. i don't think there's there's no point to publish a a book even if if you love it and just see it just drift into nothingness you want yeah as many people to read it as possible or as many people who are going to like it as possible and the, the trick is to try and...
0: So you've never gone like, this is not really my thing, but boy, would I know how to pitch this. I have done that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have done that, but it's... Uh, yeah, everyone does that and and usually you um, uh, you can identify, you know, there's something to love in it. Mm. Um, It's, you know, there's never going to be... I'm never going to try to make a case for a book that I think will sell that I don't feel anything mm. about. Um, just because that's not how that's not how it works it's and there's just, no point. You know, I'd feel really dirty and cynical doing yeah. that and I don't think anyone does it you know, you, you have so you have to spend so much time with this this yeah. book and put so much work into it that why would you do it for something you don't believe yeah. in, at least on one level and you know, but quite often there'll be something that'll come in and you say, Well, you know, it's not really my kind of thing, but I think you might like it pointing to another editor and yeah. um, so you pass it on to them and and you know, maybe they'll love it, maybe no one at the company is the right person for it but it will go on to sell to a different company and they'll Mm. make a killing off it and win a ton of awards and you'll still say well you know we made the right decision because i wasn't in love with that book and i wouldn't have been able to be its champion so um you know that's the kind of beauty of of the thing we like to talk about you know books being almost objectively good you know this is just an excellent Mm. book but it is so subjective and it is so much about taste and um and that's a, that's a good thing, and that's another case why there should be more diversity in publishing as well because there should be a broader range of tastes mm. that are brought to bear on the books that are out there.
0: I have a segue for that, but I should, mm-hmm. I should get this out before I forget. Do you ever go... You were talking about how sometimes there's something in I like. Do you go, ooh, this is a fixer-upper? <laughs> do you know what I mean, this could be renovated. I can get my hands dirty on this and make it something really good.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um,
0: or do you go? This wouldn't need so much work. It's easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I think that. Um, look, I think it's an, an editor is almost always going to want to get there, get mm. in there, and um, tinker anyway. Yeah. Um And there's something to be said for a fixer-upper. You know, there's a lot of uh especially if you're if you're acquiring it early on as someone who's um early on in their career there's um a lot to be gained for both of you for doing that and um you know you can identify something that's really good about a book lots of things that are really good about a book that still means that it's a long way off being ready for publication um so you you know you might say well this has got this person can just they're just a cracker storyteller you know this mm. is just like uh just rips along they they really know how to like get the reader engaged mm. and have that narrative traction there, but um there's a lot of problems on the line you know the the words aren't in the right order or mm. they they um there's too many of them or whatever it happens to be and so yeah that um i mean it's a lot easier to to fix that than it is to fix a completely broken mm. plot, I think, but you know there's it might be that uh someone has a really great voice, it's something that's new and you know a different style of of writing a different way of saying something. And um, so if they haven't nailed the story, uh, maybe there's a way you can fix that.
0: Today I went to like a, a women, as part of, I'm in Melbourne for the Melbourne International Film Festival and they had a women in film panel. Oh. And um, I went along, I was only one of the five guys there, like 200 <laughs> women, but um, they had Gillian Armstrong and wow. um, Sarah Hyde and Margaret Pomerantz was the yeah, cool. person, <laughs> deliberator, What do mm. they call MC, yeah. mm-hmm. and so I went on along as a fanboy, and um, but you know in film, in film in Australia, the majority of at least the big budget stuff is all government funded. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was a pretty strong argument that I agree with that if it's paid for by taxpayers, mm-hmm. then there should be really no objection to having a quota of saying you know 50% of films should be written or directed by women and 50% should be written or directed by men and Mm -hmm. you can even break that down to you know 3% should be whatever the population of that indigenous population should be of the funding should go you know split it up by that because it's taxpayers money Mm. taxpayers are really paying for it to kind of originally I think it got government money got put in you know you're creating like a um cultural record in film of Australia and it gets put in the National Archive Mm -hmm. and people in 100 years can go back and look at these movies, you know. Um, But at the moment, they don't have that system. And so only 15% of films funded by Australian government are made by women. Right. And um, so it seems like an easy way to fix, but the reason they do is Australian government won't have... Won't give you funding until you have the publisher on board,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the first place. The studio who's going to or distributor in film—it's called distributor. But um, um, so you have to have you have to have a market. You have to be have a fully marketable film, and that just plays into the same problems that the whole world has. As you know, it's traditionally been dominated by men and women, just slowly getting egged in. Yeah, right. Um, so sorry,
1: that's so I understand that. So the the funding doesn't come until the film is completed. Is that
0: is that no, what you mean? Or a, a publisher like you would have uh-huh. to say we're going to publish this book if it gets made. So they, okay, they're not going to they're not going to pay for the actual film to get made, but they'll pay to distribute it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. But they won't. The Australian money. The government won't pay for the actual production of the film
1: without a without that aligned. locked in oh,
0: agreement okay. to say yep. that we definitely will distribute it. Yep. 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 But that goes into the diversity of getting more mm. stories out there. Um, I don't know, is it like... I assume there is government grants for books.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's it's on the same scale as as uh, film, at least. I mean, you're talking about much less money as well, yeah. obviously. Like, it doesn't cost nearly as much to make a book as it does to make a movie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think publishing is much more... Um, self-sustaining like we're yeah. one of the the art forms in in australia that actually is you know it's a it's a fully functioning commercial yeah. enterprise and it, it pays for itself we don't rely on, yeah. on handouts um and that's you know that formed part of the the big thing recently about um
0: controversial topic which is the
1: yeah, uh, yeah the, the arts funding rights and the, yeah that's exactly right the parallel importation regulations and um and you know that was that was part of the frustration was you know where it's such a vibrant industry that has mm. has is managing to, um, you know, produce to actually make quite a lot of money for the economy and to to do really well for itself. It's mm. one of the few, you know, incredibly successful art forms in Australia, and and it's been built up from um, from virtually nothing. You know, when it was dominated by the the bigger uh, overseas English language territories. Um, and so, why would you why would you try to gut that? It just doesn't mm. make any
0: so sense. So you you think that's you we have you have to maintain parallel the importation importation restrictions yeah that's that's to protect the industry
1: yeah i mean uh, yeah yeah you do it's and it's not it's not protectionism i mean it is protectionism but it's not protectionism in the um in the way that it sounds it's i think there is a case to be made that this is an exceptional mm. story and there's you know the the arguments that were made on the other side just seemed to be grounded in nothing at all. This idea that there would be that books would be cheaper, and there was no evidence that books would be cheaper. And in fact, over the last eight years, books have gotten cheaper already. And we have this, mm-hmm. you know, with this this stuff in place. When I worked in a bookshop eight years ago, um, all new fiction was routinely thirty two ninety five, and um, now all new fiction is routinely twenty nine ninety nine. So, mm. you know, if it's gone, it's cheaper. Eight years later, uh, I don't see. Well, the issue is of
0: inflation as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. So you know, and there's nothing at the moment just to preclude a reader buying a book from Book Depository or they want to buy it from hmm. for whatever price they want to buy it for. Yeah. Um, so there's uh, it's just it's baffling to me why this is even an argument. It's it's really hmm. um, frustrating.
0: I don't know if about about. I assume it's tied up in some other thing.
1: Oh no. well, I think it's just the general, you know. Um, idea of of getting rid of any kind well, you know the free trade is the is the the ambition and the the goal for everything and isn't you know how could that ever be a bad thing so it's just a big you know
0: yeah, it's like funny how it seemed people were saying i i don't really know but they're saying that normally free trade is a conservative thing yeah but they're now seeing it switch around where um it's the um like Trump is now oh, he's yeah. anti-free trade and he's running the Republican. This is this big change in yeah. politics. Maybe he may just be a crazy man. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah I think it's. Um, I suppose it's because the conservatives that we see in... the conservatives by name that are that are at the the fore at the moment, the kind of mm. the extreme right wingers. They're they're not really conservative in any traditional sense. It's not. You know these aren't these aren't classic liberals. These are people who are driven by. Um, whole bunch of different reasons and who are seldom ideologically consistent so um uh, you know you can you can try and pass it all you want but there's not necessarily a lot of logic to it
0: so do you follow the um amazon suing apple for price fixing case
1: oh yeah so this god's yeah um my memory's not, not great on this, but it wasn't. It wasn't Amazon suing Apple so much. It was the DOJ, the Department of Justice in mm. America, suing the publishers who had made uh, no yeah. deals with Apple to allow for agency pricing. Um, so it, yeah, it was. Um, I don't know if I mean Amazon. I don't know if they were involved in any actual practical way, but obviously they stood to to gain from the decision that mm. was made, which was that agency pricing was seen as collusion. Um,
0: yeah. And it, you, so you. And where does publishers sit, like Australian publishers sit on that? Are they do they want agency pricing?
1: Um, well there's it's a really complicated and fairly boring economic um mm. question. The the argument for it, I mean I'll try and, and, and make it um simple so the idea is that with agency pricing you have the right have the opportunity to you as the publisher have the chance to set the price of the mm. book and You'll set the price, and you'll take a, a cut of that, um, and the just you know, an apple the the distributor, I suppose, in this case, I don't know how you'd refer to them takes their cut, and that's mm-hmm. so they can. Um, yeah, so you you have the. And you say this is this is the price that we're setting, and this is the price that you're going to charge the consumer. And so you agree that that's that's what's going to happen, as opposed to the the other model, the Amazon model, which is that you say to Amazon that this is the price um, mm-hmm. of the book, you know, it's the RRP or whatever, and we we want that, um, and you'll pay us according to to that. Um, but then they can charge whatever they actually want for the book. So you know, on the in the short term, that looks much better for publishers because if you say, well, the book is uh, the price that i'm going to set on the book is 16.99 uh, and amazon sells the book for 8.99 but mm. they pay you based on 16.99 so yeah. even though that they're making less money you're still getting your money and the author's still getting the money so you think well that's a pretty sweet deal mm. but the idea was to to think of the long game to say well yeah but if in 10 years everyone thinks that a the price of a new book should be 8.99 um and the only player left in the market is amazon then they can dictate the terms to you that now okay i know we were paying you x percentage based on 16.99 now we're going to pay you a much smaller percentage based on 8.99 and that's the deal and you're going to have to suck it up and so people uh publishers were scared of that and tried to think of the of the long term and not devaluing the product the the books that we create and saying Mm. that you know Taking a stand, like, a book is not worth that, a book is worth more than that. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's more important to us to have that um, idea of how much a book is worth to be established in the market and mm. not have that degraded uh, than it is to be getting more money. But um, I've heard a lot of very intelligent people make the case against agency pricing as well. So um, I think that it's still, you know, it's still so new, really, even though ebooks have been out for an age um it's still pretty new, and you know publishers don't really the publishing industry doesn't move um at a warp speed, so mm. you know it takes a while to get ahead around this kind of stuff so um I guess we'll see a you, know, you know the it seems less pressing now than it did a few years ago, given that um a few years ago the rate of uptake of ebooks was so high it was mm. you know every year it would be exponentially bigger and now that seems to have plateaued or fallen off and the shine seems to have gone off that a bit so of ebooks and digital publishing generally a little bit I mean but who knows
0: what will come mm. I think last time I spoke to you you were not a fan of Amazon <laughs> is that still the case or is it leveled out no it's still the case
1: <laughs> I mean obviously we no I shouldn't say that um, look we work with them and they're um, uh, they have an important role to play but on the other hand they are the devil and um <laughs> And that's, uh, you know, the that's for a variety of reasons. And, mm. um, you know, I don't think they treat their staff very well. I don't think they pay the taxes they should pay. Uh, and I don't really know what they stand for beyond infinite growth and mm. world domination. So, uh, yeah, I uh, you just have to – There was that fantastic um, New Yorker piece about uh, going behind the scenes at Amazon from – few months ago um last year um yeah speaking to some of the people who work there and the the kind of work environment it, it is and it just sounds it just sounds horrible so you know i feel quite happily justified in hating them <laughs> i don't think there's all that many people who are gonna come out in defense of them
0: yeah um but yeah it is a bit scary sometimes like you go a bunch of publishers tried to team up with apple and take on amazon you know when they released the ipad and they got Mm -hmm. sued by the department of justice for it but is that i don't know if you know is that just because of agency pricing like if they tried to do it without agency pricing but
1: well the the problem was was this idea of collusion and how and that, that that's not allowed um i mean it wasn't it wasn't collusion um well I think it wasn't collusion
0: hmm. and a lot of commentators think that it wasn't collusion. Um, I think everyone was shocked that Apple sort of lost that case. Yeah, I think,
1: yeah, I think they,
0: because uh, it didn't seem, uh, I guess it, it may have risen prices to the consumer, but it just seemed like it was trying to get the prices sustainable. You know,
1: I think that, yeah, I think that was it. It seemed like a fairly baffling decision. Um, and, yeah i don't I don't really understand it i think it was it was appeals i don't really know how it stands at mm. the moment um and yeah it's it's strange it's strange because it's not it's not collusion in in the usual way of seeing things and it didn't seem to result in uh consumers being worse off, which was mm. always the justification for the the suit in the first place um so yeah i don't know i I ended up losing interest it, <laughs> to be honest yeah. it went on so long and it had come on the off the back of the the Google book scanning thing as well, and it's um, you it just eventually you know move on to actually doing your work, and
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah, it was it was interesting. I i, I still, I just wonder, I, I feel like it should be really easy to make Amazon less important because you should be able to get, and maybe it's just all these anti colluding laws whatever they are you should be able to get like a few of the bunch of the biggest publishers come together create a standard for ebooks that Mm -hmm. anyone can use and then suddenly um you know if if any old chinese ebook that's cheaper than a kindle can run the software from these publishers Mm -hmm. and buy any book and you can see all your books there no matter what publisher or whatever it is um uh and you know any online store can sell the book so you got more people selling books just like you have physical stores selling books it should be an easy thing to do
1: yeah it Mm. should be but i suppose it it relies on you know publishers actually talking to one another it relies on things like um you know not having drm digital rights management stuff which um you know some publishers have have come out and said, look, we're, I think, like Tor, the the sci-fi publisher, I think, um, has said, we don't have any DRM on our books. Mm -hmm. And that was a really conscious decision that they made to to try to, you know, make their books more uh, appealing. And, um, you know, there's a case for that, but it's going to be pretty hard to convince publishers why they should not uh, protect the books that they're putting out there, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's hard to... To change these kind of entrenched ideas and and um, trying to yeah, trying to get people to work together who haven't traditionally worked together is a is a difficult thing to do. And mm. there's been a lot of there's been a lot of attempts to work out things like subscription based um, online book selling, like a mm. kind of um, you know where you could get con you know you, you pay a single middleman and then are able to get content from various publishers mm. and that's um, I think books, but also just generally media, and it seems to not have taken off. It should—it's just something that that should be better, and that isn't. And you know, in the same way that ebooks should be better, and ebooks at the moment, are pretty, you know know—I'm not a huge fan of them. I think there's a lot of—I um, mean, I, I like reading on on my iPad, and um, and I, that's where I do most of my work reading. Um, otherwise, I'm printing out <laughs> books like that. And I, I, just, I bought an <laughs>
0: iPad just recently, and it saved I, me a huge amount of paper. Yeah. Already over of three months.
1: It's great, but I think that there's you know, at the moment they just tend to it's basically what you have in, in print form just mm. on on a screen and, you know, it has the capacity to, to do so much more, but um it, it doesn't and I don't really I don't really understand why that's the case. I think probably because it, it would require a lot of resources and a lot of innovation and and the kind of resources that, that people don't have. And um but yeah, I mean, there's there's just endless scope for a whole brave new world of of mm. digital publishing and you know of, of content. I hate that word content, but <laughs> yeah. content you know of various kinds being available to people in various forms. And you know that's that's how people consume it, isn't it? Like you know you mm. don't kind of uh, I don't know anyone who buys the the paper. You know you you buy the Age in the morning, and that's where you get your news. You know it's that that's not how it works like every morning i have my you know four or five websites open that Mm -hmm. i get my news from then i also have my rss and i have my twitter and you know various other places where i get information and i think that's how people are online now and so there's no real reason why books can't fit into that kind of configuration Mm -hmm. in some way but we haven't worked out how yet
0: do you pay for things like anything digital like do you have a do you subscribe to things or
1: um do i i think i've paid i've paid for apps before <laughs> um, i uh i do you know i through work i do like i subscribe to various journals um mm. and and lit and lit publications um uh i've had a New yorker subscription i don't at the moment um yeah i think i'm i'm not a particularly good citizen with this stuff i should have more more subscriptions given what I consume, but um, it's just, it's never really in the form that you want, is it? You know, you kind mm. of.
0: The biggest I have I have with reading is I have just dropped the amount of stuff I read has dropped is because I so rarely know how to find stuff that I would want to read. Really? Um, so, Because, okay. like, you know, at, at high school, you'd, oh, in primary school, I was like yeah. a real bookworm used to read like a book a week. And I sort of, over time, I got to know the stuff that I liked and I didn't like. And then I followed those little veins up Mm -hmm. as far as I could. And I sort of read all the stuff that I probably would like. And I didn't know. And I've just got to a dead end. And I never know where to start again. Yeah. And I guess now that I'm a creator and I'm thinking about writing my own stuff, it's hard to just read anything because you're like i should be writing my own stuff (laughs) (laughs) so you you only want to read stuff you go know that's going to interest you either like it's a story that you're going to like or it's a style of writing that you're interested in to Mm -hmm. improve your own writing but it's so rare that i ever find stuff and like when a lot of the book recommendation engines online it's like they you would say oh i really like jane austen and they'll go. Oh well. You obviously like classic fiction, so we're going to recommend mm. all this other classic fiction that might be completely unrelated. Mm. Yeah. To that kind of those kind of stories, you know. Yeah. Um. So I've never found them useful.
1: So where how do you find what you you want to read next?
0: I don't know. I mean, someone recommended The Martian to me because, um. You know, I'm a big space geek, and that was mm-hmm. a space thing, so I I read that. Um. I read other space-related stuff. But that's kind of like a genre, like I'm just interested in that subject. But other than that, in terms of actual literature, mm. I just don't know where to look. And um, there really needs to be like, I want, you know, I feel I need to be able to say, "I look, I'm interested in a book where, um, you know, a poor girl becomes rich and famous and has a downfall or something like <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Put, somehow put that in and get some recommendations yeah. back on that
1: yeah that's fascinating there's a lot of I mean I love this stuff I love uh, I love recommending books to people um, and that was one of my favourite things about being a bookseller was you know someone come in and just say what should I read You're saying come come my yes, child well, that's true. <laughs> let us walk through the, the passage um, so that's that's really fun Is there
0: but, pe- obviously people at bookstores um
1: it's good to, you know, if there's a kind of – to be a regular at a bookstore, like, yeah. so that you can have an ongoing conversation with people and so they know what you like and, you know, what worked and what yeah. didn't. There's um, There are a few online um, resources that are good. Um, this one – I think it's the Book Oracle, or the Biblioracle, or something like that. Um, there's various ones where you kind of give them the last three books that you – you read mm-hmm. or the last three books that you enjoyed maybe is is more accurate um, and then some books that you didn't um, and then they, they make recommendations based yeah. on that um, but I'm always interested in knowing
0: how people decide what to read I think it's just I think my interests are diverse like I yeah. said I like Pride and Prejudice and The Martian mm-hmm. a recommendation wouldn't know what to do with that
1: like. yeah that's that's a that's a puzzler um, I actually have a
0: I'm hoping there's gonna be a huge <laughs> now that Martians become big, there's gonna be a whole rush of that kind of um realistic science fiction.
1: Who wrote the Martian? This...
0: Andy Weir. Okay. He is oh he was just a guy, he pub- he yeah. put the book on his website, but he was literally oh, yeah. I think I'm not sure if he if he's an engineer, but he knows his stuff and he was literally like his idea for the his book was he really have you seen Apollo thirteen? do you know, I don't know if you remember, there's a scene where they're like, okay, we've Hanks, got to... I remember Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. That's what I remember. But the the key part of the film mm. is they need to basically get a a cord from one spacecraft to the another, mm-hmm. but they use both, like one is basically using an American plug and one's using uh, oh, okay. an Australian plug, yeah. and they have to connect it together with just the resources on that ship. And literally, because it's so sensitive to how much weight you have, there's very, there's no just, oh, I've got some spare sticky tape here that yeah. I can wire up and a soldering iron because you don't carry that stuff up because mm-hmm. it's, you're only going for a few days and it's you want to bring back as many room rocks as what well. so it's yeah. like, they, there's a scene in the polytheism where they just get a just dump a bag of exactly what's on the spacecraft that the astronauts can access and it's like how do we get this plug into mm. this plug with this stuff. Have you read The Martian or seen the movie?
1: No. But This just sounds like MacGyver to me. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's like MacGyver. <laughs> okay, yeah. He gets stuck on Mars Great. and he has to... MacGyver rep- in space, you've told yeah, me. repurpose <laughs> that. But it's, okay. he's sort of done the math to realistically what he would have to actually do. Like mm-hmm. he's literally taking his poo, putting it in the ground as fertilizer with some other chemicals so it's not yeah. biohazard and then growing potatoes for three months because you... If you get stuck on Mars, you're there for two um, two years until it swing until Earth and okay. Mars line up again. He right. so has to survive for two years until the rescue mission comes.
1: Hardcore MacGyver,
0: Like yeah. long term MacGyver. But it's a bit. It's a cheesy. It's very sort of cheesy. He's a cheesy character, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna save the world. <laughs> Except the whole world is just me. I'm the only person on this planet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I uh, can't remember how we got to this now. Uh oh, book recommendations. Yeah, okay. Um, well, I mean, stuff like genre stuff, it tends to be really like there's such a, a strong community around it anyway, isn't there? Like, a, I mean, do
0: you. Yeah, well, I have, I have a bunch of sci fi that I've downloaded, and I just find it yeah. impenetrable because it's either too fantasy or it's mm-hmm. too hard. They've really gone down one very narrow niche, like, everyone communicates with their fingers now. Okay. And the whole book's based around people communicating with their fingers. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I just look, I want a girl who's in space, gets rich and famous, and then she has a downfall. <laughs> it's got to be in space? Yeah. All right, I don't. No, I don't. this is why I have to write my own stuff. I was going to say, just... <laughs> that's, what I, that's literally what I decide to write, is mm-hmm. stuff that I want to see or read.
1: That's, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people say that.
0: I'm quite happy if nobody ever else reads them. That's, that's why I know good. if it's something I like is is good for me, hmm. even though it's not. For, I had this one thing that I really wrote that I really like that no one else it's just is the worst <laughs> thing ever. But I, I like went and reread it. I was like in trance, Wow, <laughs> I'm a genius. <laughs> yeah, because it's my whole fantasy. Yeah, well, that's
1: that's fine. no
0: one wants to read this white middle-aged man, <laughs> middle-class man. Fantasy stuff. So now we're
1: going to end on white
0: middle-aged man's fantasies. So. <laughs> what are your? Fr- okay, that's a good idea. What do, What is your favorite? What's your desert island books? Oh wow! Well, um, top five.
1: I'm ter- No, no, I don't. I don't do the top five. I can't do that. Um, there's.
0: Yeah, don't have so to be the five best. It so just be like I'm running. I've. I got to go to the desert island right now. I'm going to grab right five now. books that I can.
1: Well, I probably then just grab, say, like um, Edward Sandor um Patrick Melrose novels cuz i think there's yeah. five books in that series exactly so that would be really convenient just one set of yeah, yeah. though annoyingly i bought the quartet and then he wrote one more
0: <laughs> is it the same series
1: it's a yeah so it follows the one All right. i mean it's
0: this is not no, his collected works no.
1: no it's um it's just one character it's five books based on the one character and uh, they they're fantastic um oh look i uh, you know James Soldier is right up there for me um uh I love um mid twentieth century women writers, preferably ones who um are either drunks or um sexually confused, preferably both. Um it's a niche genre I'll admit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that is So mid century is right? last century? Mid twentieth yeah. century, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, So <laughs> very specific uh kind of books there. Um Yeah, I uh you're gonna get out of me now <laughs> what
0: was the minimalist writer you were talking about
1: minimalist writer oh well the the editor the famous kind of uh, lish and carver thing so um gordon lish was his editor and it was raymond carver who's the the writer and now you know this a few years ago they um put out the the book that mm. carver had oriden, originally written pre gordon lish taking a um blue pen to it yeah. um and it was very different it was really interesting
0: to see and what was it? it was more minimalist before no was... it was it was
1: it was much bigger you oh, know? Okay. it was yeah. so he'd he'd gordon lish had paired it, paired it right back um and that's a very famous example it's probably that's not generally i think what the
0: So that's is. an editor's reference you don't yeah. recommend the book
1: oh no no i no, i do they're amazing yeah. but okay. um it's yeah and no, i suppose the the interesting thing there was how interventionist yeah. lish was and that was um that's what he's known for you know and or so what Carver. did you think
0: did you read both of them
1: oh they've got one story that i've read both of. I, yeah i mean look i i like minimalism and i okay. thought that i thought that lish did a great job um but i can see the case for for both of I them. Mean, it's a kind of it's a really interesting example because i think that more than the is is not really the norm um it's not so much that an editor um i mean that you know you see that and you think well that's that's basically a collaboration right you know carver's known for this um extreme minimalism but he wouldn't have that if not foolish. and so that's mm. that's a kind of really um extreme example but you know usually it's a the you know the editor is um is silent in the you know you don't see the hand of the editor and that's that's the way it should be Mm. and it's kind of that's why um it can be very frustrating if you read a book review that says that makes a comment about the editing because you know so it's just you don't know what the the book looked like so you know you can say oh this has been poorly edited like you have no No idea idea. (laughs) um you know the work that's been done and and that's that's the way it is you know editors are uh um are not you can 't really be someone who who likes the limelight and be an editor because the whole point of your job is that it's invisible um, and if you do it right then then no one notices so yeah. um, but interesting I wrote a book that i've just read recently that I really loved is garth greenwall's um uh what belongs to you I think is what it's called and it um i read a, a Interview with him recently, he was talking about the editorial process and he refers to it as being very i think his, his editor is mitzi angel and um he uh talks about that being a very different book uh in the end to what it was originally that she'd cut quite a lot out of it because it's quite a short book now mm. it's under two hundred pages um in my edition at least and um uh it seemed like it was much longer to begin with and mm. he um he spoke of it as you know I think in the end it was um it I think he was happy with the outcome. Uh, yeah. It's certainly gotten a lot of praise, um, but I think it was—he um, refers to it as a collaboration. Mm. So it's interesting that you know this. It, I suppose it's um, yeah. It's it depends on the perspective, and ideally, at the end of it, you don't. I mean, I I would ultimately always say to an author is that it's their name on the on the book, not mine. Mm. So you know there's there's certain things that i will um die on a hill for but (laughs) you try you know to to minimize those and in the end it's kind of got to be the author's decision because it's it's on their heads you know it's not it's not on my head
0: oh have you ever had a there's ever been a review saying the book was too short
1: (laughs) um i think that well, it's usually phrased usually differently. like, That's oh, we like, wanted
0: more of it. it was yeah, so good. something
1: like that. Or it could be like, this is, you know, fragmentary or mm. it's not fully formed or something like that. And it's, um, and sometimes that, that can be the case. You know, sometimes a book is too short. Um, it's, you know, if it was, say, a book of stories or something and there just wasn't a, one that was good enough to put in there or, you know, one should have come out but you don't really have a option mm. because the book's already too short or, yeah. um, or you know, it's a work of... Um, journalism and it kind of needed more on a particular area that just there just wasn't the scope to do it for whatever reason so there's certainly books
0: it didn't address this argument yeah
1: I mean sometimes that's a furphy because you know it's like well it never wanted to address that argument to begin with the book smart you know it didn't need to Um, but uh, yeah there's there's certainly a case to be made um, that a book is not not long enough there's certainly a case um, an argument to be made against a book that has been too severely cut in the same way that you know if you get a like I quite often will get my fringe cut and will get it quite short because I'm lazy and I don't like going back to the hairdresser to cut it when it's in my eyes so I'll say cut right. it quite short and then I'll go home and say that was a mistake you should have just cut it a bit and gone back and got a trim when you needed to so yeah. you know there's I'll tie that back into books <laughs> you know you can you can cut too much
0: Hemingway is he minimalist? yeah
1: yeah, and the kind of, you know, um definitely no, no purple prose there. It's, you yeah. know, we are on a boat, we got drunk, yeah, it was good. It was
0: what? <laughs> is that good? I was sad. Or is that like do you go, Oh, when you see something that's Hemingway do so you go, this is good? It's getting to the point, or do you go, Oh, <laughs> this guy just wants to be another Hemingway?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think it can depend. It's it's, it's some I mean usually the problem with the something that's trying to be Hemingway is less that it's the style of writing that there's a problem with. It. It's more that it's what it represents. It's like it's it might it's probably going to be a kind of asshole guy in his twenties who thinks he's Hemingway. You know, in which case you're just like, oh yeah. great, another white man who thinks he's Hemingway, um, and you know thinks he's as good as or important, as important as. Um, so you know, I don't like anything that's too derivative. Yeah. I wanted to say something. My ten my my personal taste tends to be towards the. Um, the minimal, but it's not to say that um, uh, that's it exclusively. So you know, I also like the high modernists, and they can be. You know,
0: life is a rich tapestry. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for thanks for me. chatting. It was fun. Yeah, it's great. Where can we find you on Twitter?
1: Uh, at Radio Moderation. Yeah, one
0: word. No worries. I'll put that in the show notes for people listening. Find me at the guy called Tom, or just find the show notes at jimrishfem.com thanks for joining thanks all right